Welcome to Ludus Capital's podcast, Frontier X. Every week, we will dive deep with current and former professional athletes and hear the stories of how they transition from the field, the court, the ice, the arena, the ballpark, to where they are now. We will hear the stories of how they ignited their non-sports passions, how they cut through the business complexities of their athletic careers, and how they found new unicorns in both their lives and portfolios. I'm your host, Matilda Sung, General Partner at Ludus Capital. I will often be joined by my co-GP, Sam Lee, or any of our venture partners, including Chris Miner and Amith Bodaju. Without further ado, now let's get on to the show. We are so excited to have Jelani Jenkins join us today on Frontier X. Jelani is a former NFL linebacker who played for the Miami Dolphins and also the University of Florida, where he accepted a full-ride athletic scholarship to play for the Gators. Jenkins grew up in only Maryland, where he received multiple recognitions, Defensive Player of the Year, Scholar Athlete of the Year, and All-American. After an injury in the NFL took him off the field, Jelani overcame some very real physical and mental hardships to overcome and come out on the other side as an entrepreneur. And we are thrilled to dig deep into his journey today. Welcome, Jelani. It's so great to have you here today with myself, Matilda Sung, and Chris Miner here, our venture partner at Ludus Capital on our Frontier X podcast. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Absolutely. It's been over two years since we first met each other back in the day. I believe it was at the Retired NFL Players Congress out in L.A. with one of your mentors, Reggie Grant, correct? Yeah, Reggie Grant. If y'all don't know about Reggie Grant, you want to know about him. (laughs) He's a great guy, great character, great connector. And it was such a joy to meet you that day and to learn about your entrepreneurial journey and also to track you over the last two years to see how you've grown with that and to see you today out in Maryland with your two young little ones working from home, cranking at it on the startup journey. I'd love our listeners to learn a little bit more about your earlier days, what got you into the game of football, your time at University of Florida, then your time at the NFL with the Dolphins and sort of just your journey there and what ultimately then took you off the field. Yeah. Well, I grew up in Montgomery County, Maryland. Um, from here, played football my entire life. My family was super just important and just my upbringing, as everyone's, but mine specifically was really just influential, supportive of everything that I was doing. My father, I would say, was like one of my first coaches. He didn't ever coach me specifically with football, but he always coached me mentally, like about affirmations and the power of the mind. And he was a big fan of Muhammad Ali. So we would watch a bunch of Muhammad Ali videos. And so my upbringing, I would say, really was heightened by just my family's involvement in everything that I did. And so I ended up playing football, had a really great career in high school, ended up getting recruited by almost every Division One school. I was the number one linebacker coming out of high school that year, me and Manti Teo. And I ended up getting the University of Florida with Urban Meyer. They had just won a national championship. I knew that that was a really great path to get to my ultimate goal, which is to play in the NFL. So I played there four years, really learned what it took to be a champion inside and out. I played with some amazing players, got coached by some amazing coaches, and then was fortunate enough to get drafted 2013 to the Miami Dolphins. Played there four years, 
It was a dream come true. My career was on a really great trajectory going into my third season. And then my fourth season, I suffered through some major injuries. And these weren't injuries that like could keep me off the field. They were just nagging enough where I could play. But when I was playing, I was hurting myself more and I wasn't playing well. So I was actually like losing confidence. It was actually doing the reverse effect. That was my contract season too. So psychologically, I was like, in this weird space of wanting to do better, but hurting myself more and hurting my chances more. And so that kind of like led to some more psychological challenges. I wasn't picked up for my second contract by the Miami Dolphins. I felt like that was family. So internally that hurt a lot. I felt like I put my all on the line for the, for the team and organization and it wasn't reciprocated. And th these are just the battles I was going through mentally. And then my fifth season, went to another program, the Oakland Raiders, and uh, just the culture in that organization was really not for me. And that experience just led me to really disconnecting even more so from football. And then my last team I played for was the Houston Texans for like the last 10 weeks of that season. And I enjoyed it, but I was like really disconnected emotionally. And I think what I loved most about sports was just the camaraderie and being in college, you're with the same people for four years, being in the NFL, if you're fortunate to be on the same team, there's a lot of changes, but primarily you're in the same system, the same culture, the same atmosphere, you see the same lunch people, all those things. And so that felt like family. So when I started like going from team to team and, and feeling that disconnect with the organization, that's when I really like fell out of love with it. And so I left after my fifth season, was in California. And originally I was kind of excited to enter that next phase because I was able to experience more of myself. I feel like I was finally seeing outside of this box for the first time. And I got into like my creative side, but ultimately I was still struggling because I hadn't really healed from sports. So I was kind of running away from this, this idea of being an athlete. Like I'm hashtag more than an athlete. I'm so much more than this. So I was kind of running away from that. Couldn't watch TV when sports was on any sport was really escaping in a lot of ways, playing a bunch of video games, like smoking, drinking, like gaining weight. And there was a moment probably about a year outside of retirement where I really, really went through like my biggest challenging moments. I was playing like Call of Duty. I had these headphones on and my wife, she had just gotten this Polaroid camera and like the first picture she took just to see if it worked was me like locked into this video game. And then when I saw the picture, I saw myself and I saw like this big old glass bong in front of me and then like empty plates around me and like clothes around me. And I was just like, oh my gosh. When I looked at it, I hated what I saw. That was like the first time I was able to see like, oh, I'm not really in a good space. And then I reached out to the head of player development for the Miami Dolphins. That was the first time I said, to anyone that like, I need help or I'm not doing good right now. He connected me to someone who's one of my mentors now, Jim Neeson. He was a platinum member for Tony Robbins, but he, he has an incredible business helping companies go public. So he brought me to a Tony Robbins event that kind of opened my mind to a lot of different things. And long story short, just started reading a bunch of books, wanted to really give back to athletes. As I started to find my way out, I wanted to instill that knowledge and things that I learned to help myself out with athletes. And that's kind of how I started on this path and ended up training and running a marathon, just got reconnected with that inner athlete version of myself. 
it just kept moving from there. So that's like the fundamental of kind of what led me to what I'm doing now. Gotcha. There's just so much good stuff there. I have to kind of unpack it a little bit more. <laughs> I feel like we went through quite a few journeys just in that answer right there. I mean, first, I want to applaud you for being so self-aware and having that initiative inside you to make the changes. Maybe it didn't happen at the time you wanted it to happen, but it ultimately did. Maybe it took a Polaroid to happen. So I think that's worthy of noting. I have to ask you, though, I mean, you had a pretty like golden upbringing and it sounds like things kind of went awry, obviously, when injuries came, but really during your professional time. And I wonder, given how important your parents, your father was, having that bedrock support figure with you and being away from them, how much did that impact you? I imagine a lot, right, during your professional time with the league. Yeah. Being at the University of Florida initially and then being in Maryland was a long distance and then Ended up in Miami. I was still in Florida. Then I went to California. So I spent a lot of time away from them. But that particular time, I was just kind of quiet. I wasn't really sharing that I was going through these challenges. They would call in and repeat things that they heard in the media that weren't necessarily true. It was like, I heard you didn't practice a day. What happened? And I just didn't want to talk about it. So like, it just kind of created a sense of separation in that regard as well. They remained supportive the whole way out. But I still felt alone, you know, for the first time, like since like I was high school and they were actually at the games. How much of it do you think it was hard to find? There's never anybody that's going to replace your parents or your father figure, right? Seeing your playmates and your classmates, your your buddies, like did they have other figures that they adopted throughout their careers? Yeah, some gravitated towards certain coaches. Like I mentioned, the person who I reached out to with the Dolphins, Caleb Thornhill, he was the head of player development. So I gravitated towards him. I knew he cared. He's known amongst the league as one of the best. Every team has like a player development person. He's like one of the best. So I got really fortunate to have him there. So you kind of gravitate towards people in the organization if it's not in your family. And yeah, I think ultimately in order to find someone beyond that, we can do a better job as athletes. And I'll speak for myself because I didn't take advantage of this, but we can do a better job of getting out of our own bubble, reaching out to people. You know, if I'm in Miami, some of the more wealthy individuals in Miami who would have lunch with me, but it kind of, you had to go out of your way to do that. And we're so used to people coming to us. And so that's what I would say. I mean, again, I applaud you again for having that self initiating aspect to yourself to say, hey, I could have done a better job to reach out. I've had other players, platform players I've spoken to across various sports. I've said the infrastructure just wasn't really there to support me and my mental health needs, right? I understand I'm away from home and away from my close ones, but we are, you know, in a very mentally rigorous career. It's a job, right? It's a job still, right? You love it. Thank goodness you love your job, but it's a job at the end of the day. And there's a lot to cut through. And we'll talk about some of the challenges later, but the infrastructure isn't really there. The environment and the culture and ethos that you're in isn't exactly lending it to you every day after practice. Go connect with your buddy, right? Go, go, go sync with them. And you wonder if we could do a better job across the board in that space. I think so. I definitely think so. I think every organization is different. First off, the priority that they give to player development beyond what's needed for football is different across every organization. I think the Dolphins did a great job, but I've heard other organizations that I heard even with the Raiders and I don't know what coach it was, but just didn't 
allow any time for their rookies, their players to go to like these extracurricular tours across YouTube and different organizations and the Northern California area. So I think it just depends on which organization it is, but most of them are just checking the box. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> That's a very, very fair point. And so there's a lot of greenfield opportunity to sort of define if we're at a sort of a precipice of changing the way the sports ecosystem thinks about mental health and what we can do about it. Let's say you had a clean slate. Like how would you define it in the context of like for the professional athlete? How would you incorporate mental health? Like what is it? Yeah. So I think it's kind of two part. I think there's like a more clinical form of mental health that's like treatable and deserves that level of treatment, just like any physical injury. So like the more clinical ones would be like a depression, which has the percentages of people who have depression have skyrocketed in the last couple of years. So that's more of a clinical thing and it needs that certain treatment. And then there's more subclinical, which is more maybe like burnout, some of the more, some of the things that most people experience when they're dealing with a bunch of stress. And so in the form of athletics, I think people fall all through that range. I see it as a range and I, I see all of us in some way dealing with, you know, just the society we're in and the pressures to find security and eat and all the things, I mean, to stay healthy with a mask, all those things lead to some form of like mental health challenges. And I kind of just see it as like the level of health you are mentally to be able to enjoy life and find success in life, contributing in life. And if there's stress and other things that are holding you back from that, I think that's in the range of mental health. Right, right. There's just so many dimensions, as you mentioned, right? Like it can come from like the sport itself, outside of the field, the court, whatever, in your family, in your home, or it could be something that you inherited genetically. So it can really come from all directions. And I guess my other question for you is, you know, mental health, I don't know where you stand on this. There's a school of thought is mental health is something that you'll address when you get there, when you have an issue, or is there some preventive component to it? What can we do? Do you believe in that? And does the sporting organization, league, team, franchise that you or play with have a responsibility there? Yeah, I believe so. And I think when you're proactive about mental health, it does help perform in this world, whether in sports, whether in business, when you're proactive about it. I think waiting until you experienced it sometimes it can be too late. And sometimes it's difficult to even be able to vocalize what exactly you are that you're experiencing, just not having a, an education around it. I mean, I would say what has helped me in this next phase of life is one uncovering like why I was experiencing this mental health issues and then now being proactive about making sure that I'm having a daily gratitude practice, a daily awareness practice as form of like meditation and journaling. You talked about being self-aware, like that's a, like a practice of just continuing to put reps in to recognize like what are my thoughts, what are my feelings, what are my emotions, what are my habits. And so yeah, being proactive, I, I believe, is the best way to go. And spending more time experiencing, like, gratitude and, and just emotions that bring joy in your life. Right. I've heard you say two parts of how you've taken action. Like, I think one part is, I don't know if this is the right clinical term, but remedial. Like, hey, I'm not doing well. I'm depressed or I'm playing too many games. I'm look, not looking the way I want to look. And what am I going to do about it? And then there's another part of you that's like, well, maintenance. How do I maintain joyful living? and healthy habits. Going back to sort of how you triaged out of your situation, like how, beyond 
getting to a Tony Robbins session and being surrounded by the right folks? Like, how did you get smart on this topic? Yeah, it was a lot of reading. One of the things that I wanted to do and I got inspired, I guess, from Tony Robbins is to be able to speak, to coach and help individuals overcome their limitations. And so in order for me to like get confident that I could help someone else do it, I internalized all of those teachings and I practiced it on myself. And the way I practiced it was through marathon training because I believed I couldn't jog more than a mile. Like I, I believed I was only fast twitch muscles and now playing football all my life. And so there was a marathon, LA marathon was like 10 weeks away. And I trained myself through like visualization, through positive self-talk, through journaling, through creating this new identity as a marathon runner. And I ran the marathon and that gave me confidence to help other individuals accomplish whatever they want to accomplish and overcome whatever blockages are in the way. So it just came from really this desire to want to help others and finding confidence to do it by making sure I'm able to do it myself. <laughs> You're like, I have to make sure this medicine actually works. <laughs> I got to vet it first. You know, we've chatted before and, and you've always said like this whole belief of mind over matter. And I can't agree with you more, even outside the context of sports, just in life and business and relationships, everything, right? There's the power of belief. Have you seen the, the movie or the book, The Secret? Yeah, yeah. I have read the book. I didn't see the movie though. Okay. It's powerful. It's funny. I was showing it to my son the other day. He's having some anxiety when he's, you know, at bat, he's a baseball player. And it's funny how much he's like, oh, I was struck out last time. So I'm going to strike out again. I'm like, it actually was not really age appropriate. He's eight. I showed him the secret movie, but it made a difference. I was just like, if you believe you can do it, you step up there, you're going to hit the goddamn ball. He hits a goddamn ball. Yeah. It's incredible what it can do for you. And so um huge believer of it. I am so glad you were able to see it come through in your own life so you can actually teach it. <laughs> Absolutely. I got two boys now, so, you know, I'll probably have them watch The Secret when they're five, six, eight. Yeah, you're you going to like be more ahead of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, so I want to get talking about all this expertise that you've acquired over the years and throughout your transition, and you're now pouring it into something that I think is going to be so impactful. Postseason, Chris, I'd love for you to sort of you know, dig in on this one. Absolutely. First off, thanks for sharing your story. Your story actually hits home for me because the first business I started, I actually coached and helped transition my then-to-be business partner. He basically called me up after he retired from the NFL after six years, and he was probably about 25 years old. Mm. Chris, I don't know what to do with my life. And I kind of transitioned and kind of coached him through. So I, we ended up being business partners and selling the company together uh, 12 years later. So I kind of lived it firsthand. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing your story. If you would, you know, kind of share your journey, your transition off the field, which led you to start your new business or it's been around for a couple of years now, which your startup called Postseason. So we'd love to learn more. Can you tell the audience just a little bit more about it? Yeah. So Postseason is an ed tech platform that caters to elite athletes in transition. And what we offer is education in the form of online courses. And these are video-based on-demand courses taught by athletes who've made successful transitions, catered specifically towards athletes who are going through the same challenges. And we pretty much heighten that education experience with community, with experiences virtually. Ultimately, we want to get into physical events as well. 
But that's really what it boils down to is just having this platform where athletes can come to once they, while they're playing and when they stop playing to really formulate this level of community again, this level of triumph again, and have education on demand type experiences that they can really navigate that phase. We're getting ready to launch. You know, we've been around for a while behind the scenes, but we're getting ready to launch our MVP and start our seed round and really get the ball rolling. Now, is this for current or just post athletes? And is it only for the elites or is this kind of across the board? So it's actually for current and former, primarily elite. We're also going to be opening up like a youth section where youth athletes can tap into the education as well. But this is all athletes, individuals who sacrificed a lot to go down this road of being an athlete are really going to get the most out of it. So primarily collegiate, professional, all sports, volleyball, golf, baseball, football, all of that. So outside of building the MVP, what are kind of some points, you know, being a founder? I mean, it's the life of a founder is, is, is pretty tough. Yes. Some adversity that you've gone through as a founder at different points along the journey. Yeah. Well, we had a lot of momentum late 2021 postseason got featured with me on Forbes. And this created a ton of momentum. And to be honest with you, I felt a little bit the imposter syndrome coming on because I had no idea like what I was doing. I never ran a business before, never saw myself as a tech CEO. And so because I was getting this onslaught of support, I actually developed a team rather quickly who was like dying to get this thing off the ground and going. And I had someone in leadership who I didn't vet all the way properly, to be honest with you. I was impressed by what he was saying, what he could help do. But when the bullets started to fly, I started to see some of his mental health challenges just affect a lot of the whole operation. And it wasn't just that. I mean, it was a lot of other things I was learning as a CEO. And so this lasted for about five or six months until I finally like put the brakes on and said, hey, we need to make an adjustment. We need to shift. And the team went from like 12 or 13 to six core individuals. We've simplified our entire business plan. We went through the process. We're putting together this investor documents. We went through the process of like doing some cleanup on the corporate side with our cap table, with just our overall, these documents that I don't even really know what the name of them are, but I'm just realizing how important they are going through this process. So. A lot of adversity initially that first year, along with a lot of wins, but just overall, just a lot of learning lessons that are helping us really get to a point where we can launch now. Who are some of the key people that kind of guided you or coached you through your journey? I have some amazing mentors, but actually, before we get to this question, there is a, another bit of adversity that I had late last year that I actually want to mention we got invited to be finalists in a pitch startup. It was a LA, it was at the convention center at SoFi Stadium this past November, 2022. And it was a founder startup. It, it was a big, big thing. And I was really, really, really excited about it. It was my first pitch competition and I was preparing for it. And honestly, I, I had a whole like spiritual connection with this. It, it just kind of was something that I was wanting to manifest. And so I remember telling myself like, God, if you put me on this stage, I'm not going to disappoint you. I'm not going to disappoint you. I'm going to bring it home. I'm going to bring it home. Just put me on the stage. And I got the call like two days later that we were a finalist and I was going to be presenting on stage. And so 
I prepared, 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 like over-prepared, like it was my Super Bowl. And this idea of like not letting God down was something that I was like, it was just charging me up. I felt like I was about to play a football game again. And then when we got to the actual event and I ended up getting on stage, I got like choked up. I got emotional. It was timed. It was like five minutes long. And I found myself like behind in my cadence. <laughs> like I realized I had to speed through this important information. And at the end of the day, I got through it, but I was not happy at all with how it came out. And I didn't feel like people in the crowd really got to feel what we were doing. And I went backstage and I cried my butt off. And I had a lot of people like pour into me through that moment, but that was some major adversity. But I know that it's going to like set me up. I know that's a memory that's going to really charge me moving forward. So another relatable story is the first pitch competition we did, it was for the NFLPA back in 2020 in Miami. We actually had the opposite. We won that pitch day competition, but then we went down to the next two. We actually didn't even place. So kind of like we hit success early and then fell. So it's like kind of flipped. Yeah. But no, it's a learning experience. And, and sometimes it's not only like your performance. Sometimes it's not the right fit for the crowd, the audience. Sometimes they're not engaged and understand what you're pitching. So it happens to the best of us. And it's just like, you know, getting those reps in just like you do at football practice. Definitely. Take it to the next level. I want to jump in and say something on that though. That story just like touched me in so many levels because I've like had that exact same experience despite being like a public speaking, competitive public speaker, all that stuff. Right. And you just don't even know why that would happen. And you get so hard on yourself and you rail yourself, you replay it, everything over and over again. One thing I've struggled with is like, how do I let it go? Mm -hmm. So if you have any tips on that, like I still, to this day, is I think for most of us who are type A, you know, high achieving people, how do you let those moments go and move on? Yeah, it was challenging. For me, it was like expressing it authentically. Like I'm in therapy once a week, just proactively. I love therapy. I had therapy this morning. And that was one of the things he was helping me go through was like express it creatively, write it out, speak it out, but like get it out how you were feeling authentically. Really approach that lesson as, as it being something that is like for me, not to me. Like this is something that I'm supposed to experience because it's going to be the a launching point for another blessing moving forward. So just keeping that belief and like physically expressing it, breathing through it, and just like not being as hard on yourself, which is very difficult for me. That's one of the biggest things I struggled with when I was playing in the NFL was replaying when I miss a tackle and not being able to move forward as quickly. So it's challenging. They say the best athletes have the shortest memories. Yeah, you got to. I mean, you can't get out there and in one play, let it affect the rest of the game, right? Yeah. Watching Tom Brady, you know, he would just make the mistake, move through it like it didn't even happen onto the next play. Because you, you got to mentally persevere through. 100%. Yeah. So that was a big piece of adversity because it was never really about the, the prize or the money or any of that. Like I literally took it as like, this is a divine moment. <laughs> like God is putting me here for a reason. I like that you mentioned, you know, God and the process, timing, because I'm a big believer in that too. Timing is everything and, and God's will. Tell God your, your plans, right? If you want to see him laugh. Exactly. I love that. 
we're excited for your next journey. I mean, being a founder is, we spend most of our time talking to founders, right? Coaching them through, getting them to change perspectives and, you know, through. And uh, it's not an easy thing mentally as well. More mentally than physically, but. Definitely. I agree. Looking ahead, you know, having addressed the adversity, what is sort of the next milestone for postseason that you're excited about? Yeah, so I'm really excited about launching and starting our capital raising round. It's, it's been something that honestly has taken much longer than I wanted it to. And I'm excited about the content that we're going to be creating. I'm very inspired by platforms like Masterclass, Mind Valley, and sort of this video based on demand educational content that has an element of storytelling, of interviewing and teaching through life lessons and creating modules and lessons that others can follow. And so that's really what we want to do with postseason is highlight the stories, the transition stories of successful athletes who have been through the same challenges through all sports and have managed to find ways to not necessarily become like masters in their next craft, but they've mastered being an athlete and they've learned how to translate that into their next craft to be dominant in it. And, you know, I just want all the athletes who come into this community to really recognize that their life is just getting started, that life isn't going downhill from here. And I want to shift that paradigm. And so I want to be able to show examples of that. So I'm really excited about the content. I told y'all earlier, like when I first stopped playing, I went into this creative mode. So that I really love creating, producing visuals, all of that. So that's what I'm excited about. That's great. Change the paradigm. That's so powerful. And it's going to be so impactful to so many people. Can you share with us? I think last we spoke, you had shared some of the great crafts that listeners or consumers on the platform could learn about. Just some tidbits if you're able to. Yeah. So individuals have transitioned into entertainment and have learned how to utilize sort of just this resilience and being told no to really get their idea across and how they use that. We have examples of individuals who've gone into like being franchise owners, the Webb family, drawing a blank on her name, but she and her family own a bunch of different McDonald's and she's one somebody transitioned from uh, like the WNBA. So franchise ownership, being an entrepreneur, NIL, name, image, and likeness. So, you know, somebody like Angel Reese, who is showing what and how to be able to utilize your brand and get deals and possibly make more money than you would make in, in, as a professional. So examples of that, I have someone who became a very successful agent, investor. So, I mean, all of these are different pathways that aren't the sort of regular, like going to be a coach or you know, if you're top, top, going to be like a sports broadcaster, like there are these certain paths that we naturally go towards, but there's a lot of other ways to really utilize sort of that greatness that's within you. So we wanted to show examples of that. Awesome. I'm loving it. Hopefully you'll have either yourself or someone on for sort of mental health development as well. Do you know who George Mumford is? Yes. Yes. I studied him for a while. I listened to him on 10% Happier on that app. He was like Kobe, like Shaq's. Gordon's like psych meditation trainer. He's good. He's good for the regular person like me. Okay. Yeah, so, he's incredible. <laughs> it's amazing. So 
the, when you decide to open up the platform outside elite athletes. Yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. I love that. How would someone get access? Well, how are you thinking of distribution once the content's ready to go? How would, you know, an athlete that's looking to transition be able to find, find postseason? Yeah. So in our MVP, we're using a website, a very simple Wix website. Eventually want to have like an app, but anyone can create a profile. What we're doing is creating an athlete verified experience that is very unique and exclusive towards the athletes. So someone can come on like a like a coach or a parent may want to buy one of these courses for their child. They might not necessarily be an athlete, but they can still come on the platform, create a profile. But we go through a specialized athlete verification process, which we're going to really learn as we go of exactly how to do that. You know, we're, we're talking like five minute calls or them reaching out and sharing proof that they're on, on a roster. So we'll go through that process. They'll be verified as an athlete and they'll have an exclusive experience, exclusive meetups, education that's specifically for them. So that's how we plan on distributing it. Awesome. Well, we're certainly excited for postseason to make its first MVP launch. I'm sure we'll, we'll see some fun updates on social media about it. So we're excited about that. I want to actually segue to sort of a look forward into the mental health space beyond postseason and beyond sort of your own journey. Do you have any sort of like last comments you have around how the sports players, whether it's leagues, owners, clubs, teams, how they can do a better job in furthering this cause? Yeah, I believe that they may need some pressure to really kickstart it from just being a check on the box. Like, I, I think it's two ways. I think the organizations need to really take the challenge and issue seriously and recognize that it's a more holistic problem, more psychological problem. So it's not just like taking an individual or inviting them to a networking opportunity or just getting them like job shadows, but it takes a bit more of a personal touch to it. And on the other end, you know, a lot of athletes are not sharing that they're struggling. Athletes are having challenges even saying that they're struggling. So I do think there's resources there. I don't think that they're as great as they can be. And I think that individuals aren't necessarily going out and saying, I need help. And they're doing it now. You're seeing like the Simone Biles, Naomi Osaka's, Michael Phelps. So like these high level athletes speaking on it is going to help out a lot. That's going to help raise the demand for something like this and say, like, okay, these institutions have to stand on the right side of history. This is an important problem, issue. Like, what are you doing for this? I think having, like, a centralized space, which is where postseason comes in, I think every organization, for the most part, especially in college, you know, they're only really helping out their specific alumni. So an alumni for the University of Florida, unless it's by chance, you're not going to be connected with athletes from Alabama, LSU, Washington, Washington State. Like, so I think having like a centralized space that is vetted and proven to work is going to be big for this. And I think it's going to take organizations to kind of get out of this old, these old standard practices that are not, <laughs> that are not like moving as quickly as the world is moving and the world is moving quickly. So it's going to take a lot of that. Completely agree. I think the awareness piece, I think the speaking up piece, I think getting out of deeply rooted beliefs. I'll add one more, which is when we connect the dots with 
how positive mental health can lead to positive KPIs. Yeah, 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 exactly. And increase in financial directives. I bet you there's going to be some awareness there. Maybe that's just me coming from working for a sporting league. No, you're you're absolutely right. It's not just a mental health challenge. Like I, I like to say mental wealth. And there's so much wealth that comes when you're proactively dealing with the mental health. Right, right. So you want to increase bottom line and reduce costs too. There is a line directive there. So I want to get into our final rounds, which are always really fun. I basically say a sentence or a question and you give me the first responses that come to your mind. Okay. Ready? Yes. Best piece of advice someone gave you during your transition? The business is about relationships and to get out your bubble and and meet people, talk to real people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Very, very true. Something you wish you did, but you didn't during your transition? While I was playing, I wish that I got some level of a passive income while I was playing. I had challenges when I stopped playing in the real estate market because I didn't know that you couldn't work with banks for real if they didn't see some level of income. I no one ever taught me that. So I wish that I was doing real estate plays while I was playing. Yeah, that's a great one. I'm going to do a call out to our podcast with Amobi, who talks a lot about, you know, getting all your ducks and eggs in order while you're playing. So. Yeah. Yeah. My transition, as I mentioned, it was kind of like abrupt, like, I don't know if I'll play again. And so getting the ducks in order while I was playing, I could have done a better job. You were dealing with things. So in all fairness, you had multiple things in front of you. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. What's your favorite book? It could be movie as well. It could be show. I have so many. You come across as a very cerebral person, so I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Transformers by Jacqueline Small, A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle, getting to run that marathon. What are these about? (laughs) What are they about? Uh, Are these science fictions? (laughs) No, these are like personal development. Eckhart Tolle, A New Earth, it really helped me understand like my own ego and how it plays a role in my experiences can't Hurt Me by David Goggins will help me run that marathon and understand the power of the mind. I can name like 30 for you that <laughs> transform me. Are they mostly self-help books and development, personal development books? Mostly personal development and then some business, some like more spiritual, yeah, mindset, different things. This is why you're an expert today. And this is why I'm so excited to get to the most favorite part of this podcast, which is you sharing with us one of your techniques that you use to navigate through stressful times. I believe, Jelani, you called it a breathing technique, but of course you should really brand it with a name of some sort. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know what? I wouldn't say that I created it first and foremost, but it's something that I use. When I was training for the marathon, I was listening to an audio book called uh, Breathe by, ooh, forgetting his name now. He's like the undefeated Brazilian jiu-jitsu Richard Gracie or something like that. There's Gracie Jiu-Jitsu Studios all over. Gracie, yeah, yeah. There's a book he created called Breathe. And I was listening to the audiobook while I was training for the marathon. And it helped me understand the importance of being able to slow down your brain waves, to be able to slow down your heart rate while you're in like stressful situations. And obviously that helped me while I was running. My body is feeling super tired, but I'm able to mentally feel like I'm at peace. And so he uses his breathing technique where he does like these deep, long exhalations. He'll do like a 
like a quick inhale and then a long. And he said that he was so aware while he was fighting of his opponent and like their breathing speed. He would know like if they get to a certain breath per second, that it'll be time to strike because they'd be like in a stressful state. And he's never lost a match. Like, and so he's, he's in the Hall of Fame with that. But anyway, I started doing this technique, not just while I was working out, but when I feel myself stressed, when my kids are driving me crazy, when I'm getting ready to speak and I feel the nerves. I just did it just now, but it's as simple as like two quick inhalations, kind of forceful, like, and then a long, slow exhale. And I time the exhale and there'll be 10 seconds the first time, 12 seconds the next time, 14 seconds. And sometimes I, I find myself ex, like exhaled out for about 30 seconds and I don't feel any air in my body. And this is a very peaceful, peaceful state. So we can do that really quick. So we'll, first one we'll do, we'll just do 10 seconds, 12 seconds, and then 14 seconds. And again, we'll start off with a quick two inhales. <laughs> And then we'll we'll try to hold that exhale slow and long for those seconds. All right. So on the count of three, I'll say one, two, three. Inhale. Exhale. All right. Inhale. Exhale. Inhale, exhale. All right, just breathe normally. What you'll see as you start to do that more often is you'll find yourself like this very peaceful space. I'll probably feel it right now. And if you're dealing with a lot of stress, it'll trick your mind into believing that you're like on the beach. <laughs> yeah, that exhale was really great. I think the second exhale, but those on video will see me peeking out like still going. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, it does bring it down a notch. That was great. I think we put ourselves on mute so we could have our listeners enjoy the true guided experience. Cool. <laughs> cool. I love it. That's great though. I, I have a tendency of a fast heartbeat. So anything to bring it down in the moment is truly valuable. Definitely. Yeah. All of us are capable of getting to that place and all of us are capable of being hit with a bunch of different stressors and getting to that fast heart rate. So, I mean, I think it's a technique that everyone can use, athletes, business professionals, mothers, fathers, everyone. Maybe we'll give him the term downshift. Downshift breathing. Yep. 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 Alani downshift. <laughs> Shalani downshift. I love it. We got to brand it. We got to brand it. You've got new branding folks right here. That was amazing, Jelani. Thank you so much. It was such a wealth of information. I think our listeners are going to find valuable, not just in the sporting world, but outside as well. So thank you so much for that. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. Love it. Of course. Thank you so much for the time. Yeah, yeah. See y'all. Right. Bye-bye. 
Thanks for listening to Ludus Capital's Frontier X podcast. For more information on the episode, the podcast, or Ludus Capital, please visit us on our website at www.ludus.capital. Be sure to subscribe to our show and follow us on social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Insta, to stay up to date on all things sports tech and venture capital related. And as always, thank you for tuning in.